You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. Today's scripture reading is Ecclesiastes 9, 13 through 18. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him would not perish and have eternal life. And Father, we thank you that Jesus willingly gave his life away by his death on the cross to display your love to the world so that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, as we've sung, we could not have earned it and we do not deserve it but we praise you for it. And Father, we praise you this morning that you have saved us by the blood of Christ. You have raised us from the dead with Christ by faith, by the power of the Spirit, not just so that we can go to heaven when we die, but also so that we will live on the wise and difficult path of wisdom, of following Jesus, on that path that leads to life. And Father, we pray this morning that on the basis of what you have done for us in Jesus, that you would help us to receive the implanted word which is able to save our souls. And by your spirit, move through that word and help us to choose the wise path of following Jesus that leads to life. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In today's text, we see that Solomon wants us to choose the wise path of obeying God and keeping his commands so that we will flourish in a world full of 
folly and vanity. As he says elsewhere in the book, we should be wise fearing God and keeping his commandments. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Remember that on numerous occasions from this pulpit, we have said that at a basic level, biblical wisdom does not refer to education. Thank God for education. But you're not wise today because you have degrees behind your name. As we've said before, there are many educated fools. But biblical wisdom refers to the pursuit of walking in the fear of the Lord and in the knowledge of the Lord so that we will honor him and flourish as we pursue the narrow and difficult path of following Jesus that leads to life. I think the basic message of this text, and, and by the way, my text is 9.13 to 10.20. I know 9.13 to 16 was what was read, but I was given 9.13 to 10.20, so I'm preaching the whole thing, all right? <laughs> At least I think that's what Pastor Jamal gave me to preach. <laughs> I think the basic message is this. Choose the path of living wisely in obedience to our Lord. For the path of wisdom leads to flourishing and honor from God in a world that is filled with folly and vanity. There are three truths I want us to consider related to pursuing the path of wisdom this morning. First, the humility and the greatness of wisdom. Second, the folly and shame of foolishness in contrast to the honor of wisdom. And third, wisdom leads to wise social decisions, and it knows when to tame the tongue. First, the humility of wisdom and the greatness of wisdom. Notice verses 16, or verses 13 through 18. Solomon says, 9, 13 to 18. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. 
The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Living on the path of wisdom, fearing God, and keeping his commands in the ordinary rhythms of life is always the right path for the people of God. Even when that path does not give us honor from fools in this world who despise the path of wisdom. The preacher outlines for us in this text a humble path of wisdom that he says in verse 13 seemed great. He says, verse 14, a poor wise man delivered the city from the insurgence of a great king that came against it and besieged it. However, verse 15, no one remembered or honored that poor man's heroic acts to save the city. But the preacher says in verse 16 that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. A life lived in pursuit of wisdom, forgotten, a forgotten life by the world, but honored by God is better than any honor that this world can bestow upon us. It's better to live wisely and faithfully in the fear of the Lord, following Jesus on the narrow and difficult path of wisdom that leads to life and spend our entire lives in obscurity than to live our lives foolishly, disobeying God and receiving honor from fools who likewise disobey God and reject his commands. Solomon puts it this way in verses 17 and 18. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than shouting, the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Brothers and sisters, the man and woman of God who live humbly and wisely before God have a much more powerful testimony and a much louder witness of wisdom than a million loudmouthed fools who stir up hysteria with lies on the internet or in society. God wants us, Midtown, to be faithful to Jesus Christ and to his word. He calls us to be faithful. He has not called us to be popular or famous. Fame is not necessarily bad. Michael Jordan is the GOAT, right? He is famous. But the people of God 
We are called not to be popular, fundamentally. Not to be famous. We are called to be faithful. To walk the narrow and difficult path of wisdom that leads to life. No matter what the cost. As we seek to bring redemption and restoration and wholeness to this broken city with the gospel. As we fill up our city with gritty disciple makers. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, there will be a cost to faithfulness to Jesus in this city. There may even be a great cost. But God himself, I want you to feel this this morning. God himself will honor us as we walk in the path of wisdom. We might not receive honor in this life. But he promises to vindicate us at the end of history when Jesus returns from heaven to earth. As we live in faithful obedience to him, choosing the path of wisdom, avoiding the path of folly. Second, the folly and shame of foolishness in contrast to the honor of wisdom. The folly and shame of foolishness in contrast to the honor of wisdom. I see this in chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Now, these are a lot of verses, and I'm going to read each one because I believe in churches we need more Bible, not less, right? You never outgrow the Bible. Verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment, give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Now, parenthetically, let me just insert these words. Sometimes the stench of living foolishly can overpower the sweet-smelling aroma of living wisely. Fools can be louder than the wise, right? At times, foolish living is even more compelling than wise living, since wise living may not bring honor from fools in this world. Remember, for example, in the previous verses, the poor wise man saved the city. He delivered the city, but he wasn't remembered. He wasn't honored. Close parenthesis. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun as it were, an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. 
He who quarries stones is hurt by them. And he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. In Psalm 14, verse 1, the psalmist says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Those who live in disobedience to God are fools. Those who live in obedience to the Lord are wise. Folly is foolish, and foolishness leads to shame. Wisdom that comes from God brings honor, but that honor might not come from fools whom fools esteem as honorable. Living wisely leads to honor from God, but living wisely might not make you popular in the eyes of fools who have the power in this world to exercise their folly against you. Foolishness brings shame from God. Wisdom, brothers and sisters, brings honor from God. Now, verses 3 through 15, I think Solomon gives us 11 characteristics of the fool. And as I quickly hit you with these characteristics, just keep in mind, this is wisdom literature, okay? And there is a proverbial nature to it. And the basic point Solomon, I think, is communicating through these characteristics is he wants to contrast the foolish way of life with the wise way of life. First, in verse 3, he says, the fool lacks sense. In verse 3, he says, the fool tells everyone he's a fool by his behavior. In verse 8, the fool digs a pit and falls into it. In verse 8, the serpent bites the fool when he bursts through the wall. In verse 9, the fool is hurt by the stones he carries. In verse 9, the fool is endangered by the logs he splits. In verse 10, the fool does not know to sharpen the edge of a dull piece of iron. So he has to work harder to receive the same result that he would have received if he simply sharpened his iron. (laughs) Verse 11, the fool is like a a serpent charmer who doesn't charm the serpent before it bites the charmer. Verses 12 through 13, the words of a fool consume him, bring him dishonor because they are evil words. Verse 14, the fool talks too much and doesn't listen enough. And verse 15, the fool becomes weary because of folly. Foolishness is exhausting. It wears you out. And if you are not walking on the path following Jesus, 
faithfully that leads to life, you are living like a fool today. But the wise person lives the opposite of the fool. If you are in Christ, Jesus saved you to walk on the narrow and difficult path of wisdom that leads to life. But some of you profess Christ today and you're living like fools. And I promise you, I am not a prophet, but I can read the Bible. And I promise you, if you continue on the path of folly as one who professes Jesus, it will lead to your destruction. You won't find joy. You won't flourish. And that destruction may lead may lead to your final destruction at the end of history when Jesus judges the world. If you are a believer, all believers are saved. Don't misunderstand this morning. And all believers follow Jesus. You understand the point? We don't perfectly follow him. I know I don't perfectly follow him. I'm a sinner. So are you. But the point I'm making is, is that those who profess Jesus but live in a foolish way, you're headed toward destruction. You don't repent. But the wise path of faithfully following Jesus will lead to your flourishing in your relationship with God and in your relationship with the people of God. Third, and finally, Wisdom leads to wise social decisions, and it knows when to tame the tongue. This is in verses 16 through 20 in chapter 10. Solomon says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life. And money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Those who live on the wise path of wisdom, fearing God and keeping his commandments, and joyfully following him in the power of the Spirit, will make wise decisions and will tame their tongues. Now, we also make mistakes, don't we? There are times when the people of God, as I've already said, we live foolishly. And we need the constant conviction of the Spirit and the people of God to compel us to live, and the Word of God to compel us to live faithfully. But my point is that those who are living on that path will make wise decisions when they're living wisely in obedience to our Lord. I think this is what Solomon means when he says in verse 16, Woe to the land when the king is a child and his subjects feast at the wrong time. 
But verse 17, happy is the land when the king is a noble and the prince's feast at the right time. The wise brothers and sisters, we know when to feast and when not to feast. We know when to feast for strength and nourishment and not for the purpose of drunkenness. Verse 17. Now there's a word. If you have a habit of getting drunk, you are not living wisely. Now some of you are getting anxious. <laughs> you know, I don't get, you don't get a lot of amens at Midtown when you preach on, when you talk about drinking, <laughs> right? <laughs> this sermon is not about drinking. It's about wisdom. And the point I'm emphasizing is what the text says, drunkenness. Drunkenness is not wise. Drunkenness does not lead to self-control or is not the result of self-control. Wisdom leads to self-control. Now, let me just say, if you are a professor at a certain institution in the town or a student at that same institution, well, you can't drink. Or if you're an underage person, you shouldn't be drinking. But the issue here is this. Y'all still with me? I've lost everybody at this point in the sermon, haven't I? <laughs> Are you still with me? Wise people know how to feast well. But we also know how to be under self-control. Right? So let me just go ahead and say something about gluttony. It's not in the text, but gluttony is a sin too. But the text is talking about drunkenness. So when you feast, hear this. Maybe you'll, you'll be more relaxed now. Feast for the glory of God. Work hard. Rest well, serve Jesus hard, play hard, but do it wisely under self-control. The wise who fear God and keep his commands know when to feast for strength and nourishment, not for the purpose of drunkenness. And I thank God, by the way, that there are brothers and sisters in this church who know how to feast well, because I'm a party pooper. <laughs> like, you want rain to fall on your party? Invite me. <laughs> I love being around people who know how to celebrate well. Self-control. But wisdom, verse 20, the wise, we, we also know how to tame our tongues. The wise are wise with their words. That's what verse 20 means. Notice it again, verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your, in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. And we all know people who speak before they think. And we know people who can't keep secrets, can't trust them with confidential information. And we also know people, don't we, who articulate every thought that they have, even when those thoughts would be better kept to themselves. Now, for clarity's sake, the text, I think, emphasizes in verse 20, be careful what you say about someone else. 
Because that information could make it back to the person that you don't want to hear the information. Not everybody you confide in is trustworthy. And the text is asking you to be wise about what you say, especially if you're in a large group of people. You could be talking about someone's mama and not even know it. Now, here's the reality. We all fall short. I fall short. You fall short. Now, years ago, I was teaching at a university, and there's a speaker in chapel, and the sermon was awful. It was. It was horrible. And I was young, and at that time, I drank coffee, which, which was not a good combination in my, in my experience. Youth and coffee it hyped me up. And there was one of my students who came to me after the chapel sermon and was very eager and excited about the sermon. And the student said, Dr. Williams, what did you think about that sermon? And I went through a litany of things that was wrong with it, one by one by one. And, and then as I, the more I talked, the, the student's smile went from a smile to, to a frown because the person who spoke in chapel was that student's pastor. So information started circulating. But I didn't like the sermon. Of course, I apologize, but it was a bad sermon. <laughs> but the point is, I should have been more careful with what I said. <laughs> Students have agendas, don't they? Use your words wisely, brothers and sisters. And think carefully and wisely before you open your mouths to speak to someone about someone else. Because those words might wound the person about whom you're speaking, make their way back to them. Now, I want to also apply the text, though, in another way that I think is helpful since we're talking about speech. This is a general reflection upon the verse. I want to apply it more specifically to sinful words that are used to dehumanize people. We should never, as the people of God, use speech that wounds other image bearers. This is one reason why I think if we ever have a problem with each other in this church, we should talk to one another face to face, if it's possible. There are times where the wounds are just too deep for face-to-face -face interaction. Well, there are times where there might even need to be a mediator between two parties because one has wounded the other with words. We should not attack one another on social media. We should not spread lies and stir up dissension in the body of Christ. Instead, we must seek to live at peace with all people in as much as is possible for us to do so. And I know it's not always possible. People are difficult. We're sinners, right? But as much as is possible. Of course, there are exceptions, I think, to what I'm saying. There's, there are occasions when someone's words are so harmful and so abusive that people need to tell others who can help them and intervene on their behalf. Do not suffer in silence if you're suffering harmful words from people. 
common grace resources and common sense that God gives us. So we must use wisdom in how we speak, but we must also use wisdom in how we engage with people who do not speak to us with words that are honoring to God. So tell people if you're suffering because of sinful speech directed toward you, tell people who can help you. Because, here's why, practically, because dehumanizing words may lead to further acts of dehumanization. And by the way, that old saying, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you, that is a lie. Words do hurt. And sometimes we internalize sinful words that are directed upon us, and we begin to believe the lies that people say. And we don't seek help. I think certain problems, certain problems, could be solved amongst professing Christians if we simply used our speech in the right way. If we loved one another, if we built one another up in love, built trust with one another, listened to one another, assumed the best of one another, not slander one another, not bear false witness against one another, not stir up dissension against one another, because of lies, fear, anxiety, or misunderstanding. Now, let me give a clarifying point here. Using your speech well also means you have to, at times, have awkward and direct conversations. You've got to call a spade a spade. But what I'm saying is there's a way to do that that's wise and that does not dehumanize people. And look, again, don't don't hear this as a self-righteous sermon. I don't have this all figured out. I'm trying. I'm learning. You know, one of the reasons I love this church is because there are brothers in my life who speak into me, and they know that if they ever see or hear anything come out of me or in me that should be more in line with the Lord, they speak into my life. And we all should welcome friends like that. So don't hear this to be a a self-righteous sermon. We all fall short. But my point is, we should all, when we fall short, we should strive toward doing better in the power of the Spirit. James says it this way. In James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Did you notice how James connected being quick to hear, slow to speak, with anger, and putting away all filthiness? Did you notice that connection? Now, I'm out of time, okay? I was going to read chapter 3, verses 1 through 18 of James, (laughs) the whole thing. I encourage you to read that today and pray through it because it connects wisdom with the tongue. And James is a Christocentric, a, a book that focuses on Jesus, but it focuses on how following Jesus is the wise path. And he talks about how the tongue is like a fire. You can bless people with it or you can curse people with it. 
And James is inviting us to be a blessing. You can, even, you can bless people even as you're rebuking them in love. You know that? I love, I love having brothers in my life who could put their arms around me and tell me how much of a sinner I am with a smile, and I feel good about that conversation. <laughs> that is beautiful. So brothers and sisters, perhaps today you're hearing this and you need to repent of living an unwise life. And maybe you specifically need to repent because of sinful speech. And, and repentance, is, it's complex, isn't it? Because I don't know everyone's individual situation. The basic thing you need to do if you've offended people with your speech is confess that to the Lord. But if you are certain in your own thinking that you've offended someone else with your words, you should ask for forgiveness and seek restoration with wisdom, assuming the circumstance allows for that conversation to happen. Remember, being, there's nothing stupid or nothing godly about being stupid. So we have to be wise how we speak, and we have to be wise how we repent when we've offended one another. And perhaps this morning you're not a Christian. And the first wise step you can take today is to give your life to Jesus. Would you do that today? There are pastors here who would love to talk with you about giving your life to Jesus. Turn from your sin. Believe by faith that God offered him on the cross for your sin. And God raised him from the dead. You give your life to him by faith. And join the path that leads to life. Amen. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.